What is it about antimicrobial resistance? What are the societal and ethical implications of synthetic biology? How does scientific research work in real life? Welcome to AM Podcast. Hi, and welcome to AM Podcast. Uh, my name is Kiara, and for today's episode, I would love to introduce you to Dr. Unako Lukizaolu. He did his PhD and his postdoc at the University of Cologne, working for the Max Planck Institute for plant breeding research. After also working and researching for the University of Rostock, he became group leader at the AG Harter at the Center for Plant Molecular Biology here in Tübingen, as well as the coordinator for the university's nanoscience program. Another interesting fact about him is that he was also directly involved in installing an obligatory ethics seminar in the nanoscience course. Today, we'd love to talk to him about his work, about which issues he's trying to tackle in his research at the moment, and about the role of ethics and natural sciences. Ina, thank you so much again for being here. And um, of course, also thank you for volunteering as our primary PI in the iGym competition. Um, that also means a lot to us. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy if you could explain a bit about your uh, current research um, to me and our listeners. And um, yeah, what I'd also be very curious about is where does your interest in working with plants stem from in the first place? First of all, hello to everybody and hello to, uh, to you, Kira. It's, it's uh, really a pleasure uh, to meet you here and, and uh, to talk a little bit about science. And when it comes to, to, to my interest about plants, uh, I would say that there are two, let's say, uh, roots of it. Uh, the one of it is purely scientific. It's, it's plants are such a fascinating, let's say, group of organisms and, and uh, to work with. And uh, there are still so many things, especially in, in, in uh, our actual times, when it's about sustainable and, and uh, really future growth for our society to questions which are still open and to uh, find uh, answers to. The other ones is a little bit more historic in my way because when I did my first course in, 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 in university on molecular biology, which was uh, bad in the end of the 80s, where molecular biology was something very new, something like, oh, I don't know, uh, like CRISPR-Cas would, would be today or, or something uh, similar, uh, I had to work with crabs. Yeah, so there's little tiny things, yeah, animals uh, running around, and they have the scissors. And every time when I touched them, so they touched me or better, they bite me, yeah? And after four weeks getting bitten, yeah, by crabs, I was sure I have to, to, to work with something which is not biting anymore, which means then I turn to plants. Sometimes life could be so either sophisticated or so simple, let's say, when it comes to answers. Okay, what am I doing here is I have an interest in so-called D-amino acids. This is a little bit odd in, in one hand side, but very interesting on the other hand, because as most of you will know, okay, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. The proteins are the building blocks of all our life. But the amino acids in the proteins, they have, let's say, two ways. The one way is the so-called N, L, and the other, the D form. So they are enantiomeric. It's called, uh, they are handed. So they uh, are uh, like the, the left and the right hand of our limbs. And the L form is the, let's say, physiological or normal form. 
in textbooks you will always see okay all uh, proteins consist of L amino acids forget about the rest and this is a fault because the mistake about it is that in nature you will find also the default especially when it comes for instance to bacteria in um, you have it in the cell wall of all bacteria it's, it's always in there and makes them more resistant to attack of other let's say organisms you will find it in many venoms and and uh, poisons of snakes and and other poisonous uh, animals and you will find it even in our uh, cells so in humans you have a lot of if you have for instance uh, not enough d-serine which is a d-amino acid you will get uh, something like schizophrenia or you uh, will suffer of other uh, diseases if you have a lack of other D-amino acids. So it's on the one hand side, uh, it's quite, uh, let's say, enigmatic why you have it there. And on the other hand, it's, it's quite even important in a, a medical way, but it's also uh, quite interesting in plants. And so that's what we are looking at. Uh, so where do we find them? What's the metabolism? Why do we find them? And so that's the ways uh, we are looking at. And yeah, quite interesting field. That's a... Is there some sort of end goal? Like, do you want to find out something like very specific or just as much as possible? <laughs> yeah, so um, um, we told so uh, um, at, at the very end, uh, I studied, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah, so I studied this and this and this and this. I don't know the, the English uh, form of it. And at the very end, yeah, so I know nothing. And, and this, is, this is a little bit uh, uh, um, the point about it. Um, yes, we are also interested in uh, specific uh, subjects in, in this uh, regard, for instance, how uh, some of these uh, amino acids are metabolized and, and uh, what, what the use of it is. And we found some, uh, let's say, connections, for instance, to uh, the hormone uh, homeostasis of uh, plants. On the other hand, we have found that you find them also in organelles, so in, in so-called chloroplasts. And it should have, and it seems to have some uh, impact on photosynthesis, for instance. Yeah. Um, at the very end, it, it sounds always a little bit very general if you say, okay, I'm interested in a group of uh, molecules, uh, but uh, there is always, let's say, outcomes and, and uh, uh, outreaches into different fields, subjects where you go on and, and uh, follow those tracks. Which track would interest you, like personally? Personally, we have currently a, a very, let's say, interesting topic. So that was published five years ago. So that they found that these so-called chloroplasts, they, they have a, an envelope. Yeah, so a ring around them, something like a cell wall, one would call it, but there are no cells at all. And they found in a moss that they have, um, let's say, this envelope looks very, very similar to the to the cell wall of bacteria. And one knows, according to the so-called endosymbiotic, oh yeah, something like that, uh, theory, it, it says that uh, the first plants or the first organisms were you have one large bacteria swallowing a small bacteria. And then they somehow uh, divide uh, and, and uh, shared uh, some jobs, and then the first organelles appear. So in this case, the mitochondria. And in the next time, this larger bacteria swallows a cyanobacterium, 
which is able to do photosynthesis. And this is uh, the, the uh, birth of the chloroplasts. And one uh, the textbooks always said, okay, and then um, anything else uh, vanishes, just the, the, so let's say roughly said, just the photosynthesis uh, stayed there and anything else somehow vanished. And it seems so that the cell wall seems to be the same in the cyanobacterium, which has been swallowed over the one and a half billion years to now. And this has a clear, um, let's say, consequences also on our view of photosynthesis, on herbicides, and on the division of plant cells and how they grow. Yeah? And it seems so that it's not just like that in mosses, but that it's the same also in the so-called higher plants nowadays. So if you're in a higher plant, it's not just a tree, let's say. So it means that all, uh, let's say, evolutionary higher organisms like grasses, like any flowers you see, anything yeah, uh, in the, that regard seems to share the same, let's say, property. That, like for people not in the know, at least to me, it seems very like groundbreaking in a way, like what you found out. Could you say that? <laughs> Well, let's say we, we are always, and so um, basic research always looks, uh, uh, can, uh, it depends a little bit on, on the way you, you present it. Uh, it can look or it can uh, appear very boring if you uh, put it in a boring way. And it, uh, boring things even can look groundbreaking if you put them into another, let's say, context. Yeah, well, course um for you it's not boring and uh, also to me it sounds uh, honestly very interesting like with that new knowledge even if it was like five years ago what would you say um you could do with it one possibility but this is uh, let's say in, in a bit of not so far future uh, but nevertheless um having direct impact on chloroplasts uh would mean that you have uh, also direct uh, impact uh, on uh, plant growth mm. um, in the positive and the negative way. So it would mean that so you have a new gate or a new possibility for herbicides, for new herbicides, because herbicides are always uh, something that you try to, to kill specific plants or better the plants you want to kill and the others not. Yeah, so this is uh, rather even the, the, uh, the tri uh, transgenic way. So how glyphosate is, is doing uh, more or less the same. And this would be also a possibility now to have something new, which would just go on a specific, let's say, plant bacterial way, but would be not detrimental, for instance, for animals. Yeah, so then you would have the possibility to develop new herbicides or to understand uh, photosynthesis in another way and to enhance photosynthesis. And uh, as um, it has been, uh, I think it's 10 or even 20 years ago, so that they calculated if we just would be able to uh, exploit 10% of the world's photosynthesis, all our energy problem on the world would have been solved. So anything that which would go into this direction is let's say something into the next century or into 
uh, even yeah, problems like climate change. Um, not to forget or not to mix up. So uh, every small or largest step, I don't say that, that we do the large step here, but each step, each brick will help. Yeah, of course. Um, each step counts towards like um, the common good or the goal. Um, could you imagine with a project like that, um, of course, thinking in the larger step now, that there could be like some sort of public backlash for that, for like new herbicides, etc.? This is always, um, let's say, a point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, this is something we have, uh, a problem we have currently, for instance, in three years, as far as I know. Uh, glyphosate uh, will be abolished, so it must, uh, so it, uh, the, uh, the use is prohibited, uh, which means uh, many, many people are uh, very happy about it because this is uh, one poison less on the world. This is on the one side, correct? On the others, uh, glyphosate, for instance, just as an, as an example, helped a lot. Uh, for instance, uh, to enhance uh, uh, growth of, of uh, culture uh, crop plants and uh, helped also a lot uh, for uh, the soil quality and uh, even for the uh, reduction of CO2 for growing plants. So it is, it's, it's not just good or bad yeah? uh, on one hand side and each herbicide which will help us yeah? Uh, to replace it because it had also a uh, lot of, uh, let's say, um, yeah, poisonous and, and uh, pathogenic um, uh, impact, will be again a step toward the things to replace it. Yeah? And uh, yeah, there is always a backlash if you say, okay, I want to, uh, uh, it was not my major or my primary goal to, to work on new herbicides, but nevertheless, it's always the, the, the view you have on it, yeah? And in a, in a holistic view, it's, it's a little bit like the discussion about uh, uh, nuclear energy. Uh, so there are the ones we, we, who say, not at, at so in, in no way, yeah? And the others say, uh, okay, so it's, it's, it's a real, uh, let's say, pleasure because it's, uh, it has this and this and this advantages. It's in between and you have to calculate it and uh, you have really to uh, put it on a balance and say, okay, which one will win at the, uh, at the very end? And it's and nowadays, unfortunately, too much about emotions and just in a second way about facts. Yeah, maybe like a follow-up question to that, maybe a bit meta, <laughs> um, but what would your like advice be? How would, like, should someone deal with like, handling such problems like that you can't like you can't really control public backlash or i don't know pressure from the scientific community or something but well you, you do always get that problem so how would how should you deal with that good question comes to a let's say formal question at all because uh, uh you were asking uh, before about uh, the ethics courses we're doing here mm -hmm. Uh, which is uh, rather, I wouldn't call it singular, so also uh, others are doing this, but uh, we have a focus on, on uh, such subjects because what we are doing in these courses is to try to give our students more, let's say, assistance, more tools to communicate science to the public. 
which also means that they should be also, uh, first of all, frank to themselves. So about advantages, disadvantages, about points of view. So it's it's uh, um, because um, there are also matters or, or subjects like like dual use. So so it's it's not just uh, let's say if if you are on the wrong side of the gun, yeah. So then you will feel it. So and and uh, then to to let's say to take this gun out or where to to handle it in, in a uh, more proper way and also um, to bring more information in an appropriate way to the people not to to come uh, to to let it look like teaching people it's more about informing people discussing with them and uh, do also the discussion in a, in a more appropriate way so that uh, the people don't have the feeling uh, that they're getting cheated or that even if you have an interest that you are able to communicate this interest. It's currently a very difficult situation due to the division of people. So they, they like it that uh, there is just good and bad. It's just black and white. And unfortunately, as we all know, not just in winter, the world is more, more or less grayish. Looks sometimes really gleaming, yeah, uh, but it's not all the time. And uh, it's, uh, it's about the same with these matters. So, and then to give them enough uh, opportunities to get informed, to discuss if they want. So it's unfortunately the division is so uh, yeah uh, high and 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 and, and uh, it's so hard to discuss with people because they are over the top to do so but there are enough there are more than enough and it's it's uh, the majority which are still able uh, so uh, not just to sit on their side of this fence but uh, let's say to come to the free field and sit together and uh, discuss the matters and uh, to make their own uh, decision and, and, and to build their own opinion so um, I get that you're saying this is like a communicational issue most of the time. Would you say this divide is just like emotionally, like I'm very much against it or I'm very much for it? Or is it also a divide between like the scientific community and the general public? We wouldn't be a scientific community if we would be all in the same opinion. Yeah, so uh, we have to be uh, somehow diverse and, and we are and uh, none of us uh, would be in the opinion to know the truth so we are all uh, uh, working towards something which would end up in a in a uh, let's say common opinion which would base on facts uh, for the general public it's uh, lots of emotionally difficult decisions and and then to really separate the the opinion or the, the emotion from the facts is hard especially in nowadays because there are lots of far more facts on, on on the field or on the market than it's good for any of us even the scientific community has uh, each scientist needs to to sort out okay which of these facts 
is somehow more, more reliable than others. And even for us, for instance, in this COVID crisis, it's, it's uh, I think, several thousand uh, papers per month. Just to get through this, we have forests of, of uh, opinions and of, uh, let's say, works. It's for experts. Hell, it's not really makeable uh, for uh, the public. And to give them some guidance, uh, or to try to give them guidance, and uh, especially transparent guidance, so that uh, they have not the, the feeling that uh, I'm trying to chip them with vaccines or uh, uh, try to, to somehow uh, panic them because, uh, due to a, a disease which does not exist, to try to give them a guidance because we can't force the people. We just can't support them. And this is not just true for this crisis, but it's also true for many, many other things. And, and uh, this, this is really from climate change to genetically uh, modified foods uh, down to, um, I don't know, um, uh, which kind of, of uh, fertilizer you use for, for your lawn. And so it's always the same. Yeah. So there are interests you have in the general public. There are emotions also in there. And then to give them also the facts on top of it or, or as another component to decide. Yeah, I think what you said about the transparency is very like important. I think that that's a good point, actually. And for science to provide or like at least offer some sort of guidance seems, yeah, seems like good plan at least even if of course sometimes science communication doesn't work out the way we want it to but like i've understood the problems the general public may have where would you say though do like ethical challenges for example arise for researchers yeah so ethical concerns are always first of all uh, let's say one of the primary concerns is always economy means uh, I, I, uh, can I do this or that? And, and, and the next step is always, which one can I pay? And uh, when, it's, uh, when you look at it later, which one pays me better? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, even if you just uh, start as a scientist uh, and as a, do your PhD and uh, which one will pay my PhD, so, so you have to live by it. Yeah, so uh, as uh, one would uh, nicely said, uh, say, uh, which one pays the rent or pays the bill. Later on, it can get more and more uh, about these concerns and then really to transparently communicate also such interests. And uh, because uh, I've seen it uh, too many times in my life, so that uh, you give an argument and people say uh, next to you, oh, you're paid by, let's say, Monsanto, or you're paid by this company. And uh, I always say, okay, give them my account number and get never got paid by them, may be interested for me. But nevertheless, really to show, okay, this, these are my interests. I don't have economical interests in this and this ways. And uh, the next uh, concern is always uh, when it comes to public is that some issues are politically exploited, one has to say. So uh, in, in some, yeah, even uh, previous centuries, <laughs> not centuries, but decades, things have been uh, decided. For instance, uh, take something like, like GMOs. 
genetically manipulated organisms. Yeah, so there you have, especially in Germany, so you have big seal on, on them. So this yogurt, this broccoli has not never been manipulated. So it is without genes, which is first of all, not true. Second of all, it has never been really proven that this stuff would be less good than something which would be, let's say, in a more natural way, as it's called. In former days, this uh, was always a matter of debate, and uh, one would, uh, could have said, okay, for instance, animals with from, uh, some antibiotic resistance is not so good because you can feed them with lots of antibiotics which go over uh, via food to map. Nowadays, you do this, for instance, for uh, especially when, when you look about, uh, about when you look into the, the CRISPR-Cas technology, you can do this much more refined. So you don't need these techniques anymore, and you can't really separate between a natural variant and a genetically manipulated variant. There is no difference if you do it in the right way. One has to say. Okay, due to European law, still this is accounted the same. And there are also many uh, political parties, especially on, on, on the, let's say, on the left spectrum, which would say, oh, you can't separate it, but you have to uh, prohibit it because it is still manipulated. And now we come to, to very simple, let's say, terms to explain something quite complicated, just to break it down for the people and say, manipulation, but naturally good. Sometimes it's not that simple. Let's say a snake is very natural, good. If it bites you, yeah, it has poison, this is bad. You will die by something natural because it's good? No. Yeah, so you can't put it always into the black and white way. Um, this is something uh, which makes the communication quite complicated and which makes it uh, also complicated in an emotional way. Because then they go and get you by, by the emotion that self-manipulating means uh, that is uh, also, let's say, exploiting economically. So you are exploited. On the other way, it's natural. So the people are dreaming of some uh, flowers and, and farmers looking happy. It's not that easy. Uh, so even if you would look, for instance, into eco-farming, they do a lot with machines and so on. One would say this, 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 this looks like a rather uh, a plant, uh, like, a, like a farm, but this is not shown because it wouldn't really, again, fit to, to the picture some political groups want to transport. I don't say that someone on, on this side of the spectrum or this green side or left side of the spectrum is bad, the others are good. They are doing also bad things. It's always about bad communication due to, let's say, not that good intentions. But for researchers themselves, how would you say, like, if science is not like neutral, um, which it of course can't be because you're always like having some sort of interest or like maybe science itself, let, let's maybe phrase it like this, science itself can be maybe neutral, but it's always used from, for some sort of purpose. But as a scientist, you always have to make decisions. As a researcher, you have to make decisions. How would you say you make your, like, if you cannot orient yourself at like with public opinion, for example, I totally agree with you that the EU law situation is very complicated right now. But if you cannot use that as orientation, like 
how do you orient yourself to make ethical decisions? Good question. At least one of the first things a scientist should always think about is, does it harm or not? And this was always my primary question. So does, does the things that I do, that I re do research on, harm the people or is it for the good of the people? And um, also, uh, if, if you think about it uh, further on, so if you continue with it, so you will always see, okay, it will not always be uh, at a certain stage, you will have both of it. And, and then you will always have to, to uh, think about it, okay, will it continue or not? And most of science, if you do not, let's say, develop products, this is something different. You, you are doing research, especially basic research, which always means you just try to find out things. It's not about, uh, let's say, let's take the example of building a gun. It uh, contains, um, let's say, that you need to know how steel is made. You need to know how, how the powder is made, uh, how the physics works with it. Each of these knowledges, yeah, so separately, is, let's say, not harming anyone. Not knowing it or not working on it does not mean that you can prevent building a gun. At the very end, a human being has to do this. Yeah, and this this is always a point, our primary point to start with. And this is something we, we try to, to discuss with our students in, in ethics. So, okay, uh, how many, uh, let's say, point of views or points of view uh, may there be, but uh, you will never do it in a sufficient way. But there are two or three of them which are really, uh, let's say, basic or fundamental. And one of them is always, do I harm someone and this should be always uh, let's say the primary uh, thought or the first thought you should have when you work on it helps a lot yeah okay that's that's very important so maybe as um some sort maybe not the closing question yet because it's very nice to talk to you but uh, since you're also working in nanoscience and we're ob obviously talking about the ethics course would you say like ethical challenges differ in different subjects or are they just plainly the same and maybe like of course why or why not they are and are not at the same time but it's it's a rather uh, matter of definition and refinements let's say because when it comes to the fundamental questions i would say okay it doesn't matter in which sciences you look like uh, you look into you will always find the same fundamental questions um when, when you look a little bit more into let's say the different subjects if it's physics and one would directly say okay it's about nuclear energy it's the atom bomb for instance if you look into chemistry it's it's uh, uh pollution if you look into biology you would directly say okay it's it's the gmos nanoscience is something uh, very similar so you have the problem with nanoparticles and and the concerns about it at the very end comes uh, again down to, to the same because it always says okay what are the advantages and the disadvantages and every time you have to think about it and you will always come to a step where you are asked okay can i do this or that with it yeah so and this is uh, if if you just say okay i don't make the product the application now in some cases you do so and then you have to think about it. okay what would be the outcome is it worthwhile to do so 
or would be the the harm greater that I would do to to work with it? Yeah, maybe it's just uh, this is uh, like like Oppenheimer uh, who said when he saw uh, the the Manhattan Project first of all, uh, first time blowing in, in in his eyes and said, "I did the work of a devil." Okay, at, at that very moment he knew. Yeah, so. I had the chance and, and that uh, was the junction in the way. And for me, as a person, as a human being, I took the, the wrong turn. But um, this is something you have to decide every time. So it's more a way of deciding all the time, like, does the good out outweigh the harm in a way? If it does, would you say there are some things that you, like some, some lines you cannot cross, like except maybe like harming people? if it um, would be something very good for the world, but also... Nah. Interesting question. Um, I think, uh, I just remember it uh, for one time uh, when Spock says from uh, Star Trek, yeah, so the, the wealth of, of the few must not overweigh the, uh, the wealth of the many. Now we come to something uh, which is even more fundamental, is the individual more worth than the community. And one example is, for instance, uh, the, the things uh, which turn, uh, came out two or three years ago in China, when one of uh, scientists working on embryos in Shenzhen uh, did a CRISPR-Cas experiment on uh, embryonic stem cells and really tried to cure HIV in a state of, of let's say, uh, the, the stem cells and made babies out of it. Mm. So he was in the opinion, he was doing something good for mankind. And at that point, I would always say no. Because in, in this example, so the individual means this baby, this, let's say, one day, hopefully adult will suffer. And no one knows currently if they will su survive to this stage due to, let's say, uh, even if we would say he was just doing it for mankind and not for any other, let's say, selfish motives. And these are lines you, you, you have to think about. Yeah, so what does it mean for an individual? Is it really worth risking some lives in which aspect, however, just for my opinion and for my conviction that it will somehow do good for the community or for many. And before you, and this, this is again about communication, then you really to communicate this, not just with community, But just even with your colleagues would be very, very uh, helpful because then to get in also other opinions. But um, for uh, these reasons, we have also ethical committees, especially when it comes to, to work with uh, human cells at all. So can, what can happen? Have you thought about this and this and that? And so I think that we're, especially in, in the Western world, also in China, there are also these committees But this uh, gentleman was, in the opinion, somehow to circumvent, let's say, these instances. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that was super interesting. I didn't know about that at all. But uh, yeah, do you have maybe last closing question? Any advice uh, out there? How to think about if your research, for example, if that is ethical? First of all, research is 
always about knowledge to get one step ahead. And if, if you follow this rule, you can't do so much wrong. At the very end, you can't always prevent that harm is, can be done. This is always possible. This is the, the problem. Who, who is shooting? The gun or me behind the gun? It's always at the end, the, the, the guy behind the gun. Yeah, and, and now it's, uh, it's about the point, okay, at which point am I? And uh, is it me really pulling the trigger? And uh, you will feel it or you will, you will uh, notice if you pull the trigger and uh, if you are sure and, and, and conscious enough, you will really notice and, and know what to do then. And then, then it's your decision uh, either to, to uh, follow that way, pursue it uh, or to take the next turn. Thank you very much. That was very enlightening, honestly. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks to you.